Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Room Temperature Stove Edition of Socks on Tap. I'm Johnny Nani, joined tonight by Tony Marchese. Tony, how you doing, man? Hey, it's room temperature. I like that. I like that. It's not quite hot yet. It's freaking freezing out in Chicago. I'll take room temperature today or any other day of the week at that if we're talking temperatures right now it it feels like we should have a hot stove right now i don't know about you but i, I could use a, a hot hot stove really warm things up here yeah i could i could use a hot stove too tone to kind of you know warm the soul a little bit um you know get, get me a little amped up maybe maybe take my mind off of how freaking cold it is outside uh like you had mentioned uh we're getting a little early winter blast here weather-wise in chicago but um you know what that's all right tone uh don't matter we are inside we're locked in drinking beers ready to talk some white socks because there have been even though we are just in the gm meetings here there have been a few developments um you uh, ha- have any opening thoughts as to what you've seen over the past couple of days? Yeah, I, I, I've got a ton of thoughts, and we'll get into a lot of them. But opening thoughts, Johnny, uh, it, it feels like deja vu. That's my opening thought. It yes. feels like deja vu. And I don't know if that's a good thing. I, I really don't know if that's a good thing. I'm going to try and be positive to counteract what I'm expecting to be a very heavy negative Nani episode. I know Sean Roberts is here for negative Nani. I'm going to try and be positive, but more than likely I'm going to be negative on this episode. I don't know. Deja vu. That's my opening thought. We'll get more. Tony. And I think that is the perfect word to describe it. Um, If we were going to go in episode episode title here, um, I, I would probably go deja vu. Uh, with that, I, I'm totally with you because it does feel like the beginning of last off season where the White Sox are being tied to a bunch of names and you're getting your hopes up and you're thinking, oh, my God, how great would it be if this guy or X, Y, Z is on the Sox? And, um, you know, you, you don't know what's going to happen, um, it, what, what comes through the winter. And then you also get the comments today. I got an update from the score that. Um, you see all this stuff, and it's all early speculation, sure, but they're coming from some fairly legitimate sources like uh, Jeff Passan uh, on Twitter. And then you see an update like I got from the score today, and it said that uh, Boris says, you know, Cole probably won't even sign until January at the earliest. So um, it's going to be a tease. Let's say that. You said deja vu. I'm going to say it's going to be a tease. Yeah, I mean... We're really early into this. Um, as people start to listen to this episode uh, tomorrow, when it gets when it gets out there to the masses, um, that'll be Wednesday. Jose Abreu still has time to accept or reject, just like all the other guys who are made qualifying offers. I, I believe that deadline would be Thursday. So there's still time out there for some of these guys to either become free agents or re-sign back with their club on the QO. But it's going to be a long off-season. It's going to be dark. It's going to be cold. And I like the fact that you said the lukewarm room temperature edition here. Because I don't feel like that stove is really going to get burning until probably around January. I think it's going to be another one of these off-seasons, Johnny just from the way that everything went down last year where you're going to refresh Twitter all the time 
<laughs> waiting for Jeff Passan or Ken Rosenthal to say so and so signed somewhere. And it just feels endless. It feels dark. It's cold. And there's this empty feeling that you have for months on end, hoping something happens that day. And I don't know if I'm all in like I was last year yet, because I've kind of tried to pull myself back a little bit as far as my expectations, as far as how often I'm going out and searching this stuff and letting it come to me a little bit. I think we've been a little bit more, I'm, I personally am a little bit more busy than I was last year at this time. So I've tried to keep myself busy and keep my mind off it, but it's always there. It's always overarching. Like what's going to happen. And I think at some point I'm going to get to that point where I was last year where I'm like, God damn it. Can somebody just please fucking sign on the dotted line? <laughs> you know, like, yeah. I, I, don't, I don't know. I'm, I'm not there yet because it's early. But we're going to get there at some point. So, yeah, I mean, it's it's going to be it's going to be a long one. You mentioned Garrett Cole not signing till then. I mean, the same thing could be said for Anthony Rendon or any of these other big names, Johnny. It's going to be it's going to be interesting to see how the chips fall. But none of the big names really last year when we're talking Harper and Machado signed anywhere near this time of year, it was, you know, it was February for Machado, right? Starting to warm back up a little bit by the time these guys signed. Yeah, absolutely. Tone. Um, so I just wanted to get into, uh, first of all, I just wanted to hear your reaction on that. And I'm with you, uh, kind of trying to stay a little bit, you know, not as dialed in as I was last year, at least at the beginning here, because I think I'll drive myself insane if I do that. Um, but first thing is, uh, realistically, uh, a realist standpoint here. I know we'll probably get to some of my negative comments here. Uh, it wouldn't be a socks on tap show without that. But uh, realistically, I would say you'll see maybe, you know, two, three names that aren't massive, but fairly, you know, sizable, at least impactful, uh, semi impactful names signed uh, before Christmas, and then you'll get the bulk afterward in January into February. Um, that's just my realistic prediction. I don't have any inside information on that, but just gauging how the, you know, how things went last year, um, how guys like to wait things out, how their agents like to play things. Uh, I just feel like that will be the case. So I want to get that off the uh, chest here first. Uh, that's just my realistic assessment of it. And then second of all, um, let's open it up. We, I know we've got a bunch of different tweets, reports to get to. Uh, first one, we might as well start off with the head honcho of the White Sox, uh, Chairman Jerry Reinsdorf, said he is ready to win. This is via Daryl Von Schoen on Twitter. Um, Jerry Reinsdorf says uh, the White Sox are ready to win. We've suffered some over the last few years, and we've paid a price. We're all ready to reap the benefits of that short-term suffering. Initial thoughts? My initial thoughts are this makes zero sense with what we've kind of seen played by White Sox staff into the media and into Twitter and into in-game broadcast with Steve Stone, with Ed Farmer, with a lot of these names out there that have kind of tried to temper expectations. And even from the voice of our GM, Rick Hahn, who really hasn't said he full-out commits to putting a winning ball club out on the field this coming season. So... Yes, originally the plan was to be competing by 2020 
and 2019 was supposed to be your ramp-up year. I kind of feel like 2020 may be a ramp-up year, if not a marginal improvement over what we saw last year with 21 being a ramp-up year into 22 being somewhere where we can compete by the time all the final pieces of this puzzle can finally get onto the field together. Because I still think you you have to take into the account that a lot of your secondary-type prospect depth really either didn't work out to this point or is injured and has not even been on the field. Your Jake Burgers and your Dane Dunnings of the world, guys that are valuable that you can trade, move for pieces that may be short-term rentals, that may be, um, uh, you know, cornerstone type players. If you fail in free agency, I'm not comfortable going out and giving up, you know, an Andrew Vaughn for a one-year rental piece in like a J.D. Martinez type situation, knowing that he can go elsewhere. You went down this road telling the fans that now was going to be the time. And then you had this weird period where all of a sudden it looked like this was going to get pushed back a little bit to then jump back into the fray and say from the, from the chairman of the organization, it's time to go win now. The messaging seems off to me. It doesn't make sense. It sounds like fan appeasement in my mind where they know how upset people are. So they're going to speak out of their ass and start promising things just to keep people interested in what's going on. Now, I'm not saying that that's totally the case. They know what they're about to spend and what they're prepared to offer. I'm sure they've had conversations with agents already. Maybe they know that they have a good shot at something and that that they have the upper hand, so to speak, on certain guys right now. For all of the, you know, criticism that we give them, they do know that they have to put a winning product on the field or, or at least attempt to. So maybe he's already been convinced by Rick Hahn or Kenny, or maybe it's coming from himself that he wants this year to be the year. And I'm sure at one point it was, so it's not too far-fetched for me to say Jerry Reinsdorf has had this specific year in mind during this whole plan. But the actions around it, to me, would have been more... I don't know. The way they went about 2019 does not give me any faith for 2020, I guess yeah, is the best way for it, me to put it. It would have been geared more towards that to have any merit behind it, correct? Is right, exactly. At? I'm trying to get to the point where if if you were really set on competing this year, you would have started to put a little bit more framework in place last year. And I'm not saying that has to be Manny Machado or Bryce Harper. Sure, it would have been nice if you went out and got the premier left-handed right fielder you know left-handed bat right fielder that you're chasing right now who's you know would be controllable for around 10 years and he's in his mid-20s that would have been nice you know to have that in place already instead of going out and going and attempting to go get Cole Calhoun you know that there there were things that they could have done last year to start to solidify this as the real year and then they could have went and made additions like they're, I think they're going to, but they could have had another superstar or even some 
baseline players last year, and then you go and you add a Rendon or a Cole this year as your big piece. So I think they really failed last year because the additions weren't enough, and now you've put yourself kind of behind the eight ball. So it's a weird place to be in. I can see both sides of it, but part of me thinks that this could just be a little speak to keep people interested and tuned in over the offseason, maybe sell a few more season tickets before anything else happens. Yeah, so I think you got really uh, you, you covered it well there in the nitty gritty aspect of it. And just my one comment on it that I don't think I've made public on the show, really. I've said it in a bunch of our group chats and both our socks on tap guys, um, and then just you and me just talking uh, about what's going to happen in this upcoming offseason here. Um, I always go back to this offseason started last offseason. So for that reason, I already think we're already behind the eight ball. So there we go. There's my first negative Nani comment of the show. Um, I will go ahead and say that. Just air it out for the listeners. And just think about that. Because for all those reasons that Tony had mentioned, maybe laying a framework, uh, maybe it's adding another you know star to the mix here uh, in 2020, they could have positioned themselves better uh, for this offseason had they done more aggressive work last off season. So I will leave it. At, I will leave it at that for the nitty gritty, Tony. But what I wanted to get to was because you had already covered all and gotten into, uh, like I said, in the in-depth uh, kind of already going into what, you know, players and that sort of thing there. I'm just going to take a step back and say who this is coming from, from the mouth of, you know, the guy who said this, Jerry Reinsdorf. What was the last piece of publicity we had on him? The last piece of publicity we had about Jerry Reinsdorf is that he likes to finish in second place. And whether that be true or not, don't you think this is now his next piece of PR that he wants out there? Correct. To his name. I, I think that's a really good Pandora's box to open. Yeah, and I I just wanted to uh, point that out there because there's multiple angles to this, and there's no White Sox game to be discussing right now. So we have all the time in the world to go down these rabbit holes uh, and talk about this. And sure, this may all be speculation and whatnot. Um, and, and you know what? I, I do at least want to believe that. That yeah, and I'm with you. If Jerry, if you're talking to fans here, we suffered some over the last few years, and we've paid a price. We're all, all ready to reap the benefits for that short-term suffering. I'm totally with you on that in that sentiment. But do I believe it? Do I believe that the, you know, actual action will follow after this from what's gone on, especially the last off season? My faith isn't there, but I just wanted to point that out because I believe this may be another piece of PR work here. Um in play so I just wanted to get to that before uh Tony if you have any comments on that uh further you can go ahead and air them out if not then we can move right on into actual players that the White Sox are being talked about with one thing I want to ask you Johnny is you know Jerry Reinsdorf is a very successful businessman right would you would you agree with that statement yeah okay so Jerry Reinsdorf is probably familiar. He's probably built a house or two in his in his day, right? He's probably got a really nice house. I think he built a nice house in the nineties uh, with the Bulls. I mean, okay. he had a great uh, no. I'm center, talking about you know, like, piece like somewhere it, where yeah. he lives. Somewhere where he lives, you know, he's probably he's probably got a really nice house. Do you think Jerry Reinsdorf moved into that house while they're still trying to lay the floors down and do the painting and everything? I don't know, because Steve Stone really sold me on the fact that it takes five years. And if he's trying to move us all into a house early before it's finished, 
before I can flush a toilet or even hang pictures on my wall, I'm going to be really pissed off. Oh, I love it. The carpentry, re- carpentry references are coming out already. Uh, I love it. That's what Socks on Tap is all about, Tone. Uh, yeah, no, I'm with you. I-, I would hope he's not trying to usher us into that situation, but um, you never know. Like you said, I think there's multiple factors at play here. Uh, one, like I had said, the PR. Two, like you had said, the uh, maybe trying to sell some extra season tickets here uh, before anything really happens and gets going here. I-, I think both of those are legitimate points to bring up and also comments that people should keep in the back of their mind when they read something like that from Jerry Reinsdorf. Well, yeah, I mean, it's really easy to go read that and be like, all right, this is it. This is the year. But this is all this is also all talk before the action. Yeah, I did. Do, do, do you not agree that this would hold a lot more weight as well if it was Anthony Rendon has signed on the dotted line? Jerry Reinsdorf comes out and says, White Sox fans, we've suffered long enough. Here's our $100 million guy right here. Let's make this better. Oh, it it would carry literally like five tons more weight. Exactly. So, again, this is all talk before action. And we've seen a lot of talk before action. We've also seen a lot of cover-up talk after action or lack Mm -hmm. thereof. Yeah. So, again... You know, this is exactly what Rick Hahn told us to do. Look at the facts, evaluate them, formulate an opinion. There we go. We just gave it. All right. You just mentioned Rick Hahn. Uh, it's time to get into. Now we're going to go a little bit down, uh, a little bit further down in this White Sox uh, front office here and get to an actual Rick Hahn comment. This is from Vinny Duber on Twitter. Um, he says, asked Hahn if Sox are willing to trade for one uh, guy with one year of control. He said, yes, depending on costs added. We'd be open to a one-year improvement knowing that with where we've put ourselves economically, we might have the ability to retain that player when they hit free agency. So, um, example A, probably here, Mookie Betts. I was going to say J.D. Martinez as well falls into this yes. category. Yes. Um, and I think Martinez might be a little bit more affordable than a Mookie Betts. Um, I, I don't see any scenario where Mookie Betts is traded to the Chicago White Sox and decides to re-sign them. And if you're going out and you're trying to get Mookie Betts, first off, I don't even know, and I can't fathom what the cost would be for him. You'd have to think that it starts somewhere around a Nick Madrigal or maybe even more, unless the Red Sox are really, really, really desperate to get rid of him because I don't know what your second-tier prospects look like. I don't think they're taking flyers on Dane Dunning, Alec Hansen, um, you know, maybe Zach Collins is movable in a deal like this. I, I don't know. I, re- I really don't know where it starts. But I'll tell you, Johnny, if it starts with names like Michael Kopech, Luis Robert, or anywhere near that ilk, even a Dylan Cease, I, I think your benefit, your you know, your your cost benefit, and that, like th- there's no way you want to go make that move for a guy who likely doesn't stick around here for longer than 2020 unless you're going and you're locking down Garrett Cole and Anthony Rendon and you want to just put it on the top here and try and go chase a World Series this year and you need more than just that on top of it it'd be mortgaging 
a lot of a lot of key pieces to the rebuild, I think, to go out and do that with so much risk associated to it. And maybe I'm overvaluing Mookie Betts here, but this guy's an MVP, perennial MVP candidate type player. The Red Sox are going to ask for the moon for him regardless. And I still think that, you know, there's chances that he winds up staying in Boston long term if they can shed other salaries, which shifts me over to J.D. Martinez. What's your price here? And, you know, Rick Rick Hahn did preface it with depending on cost. You know, if you can work out the right deal, that's fine. But if you're going to go give up a guy, and I go back to the Cubs trading for Eraldis Chapman, they were already in a position when they made that move where they needed him to just get over the hump. Mm -hmm. If you're unloading prospect capital for J.D. Martinez, say it's Andrew Vaughn or a Nick Madrigal, one of those two types of guys, you go unload them. J.D. Martinez comes here for a year. We sniff the wild card. He opts out of his contract, does not resign here. And Boston has either one of those guys who turns into maybe an all-star caliber player for four or five years down the road. Is that worth it? I don't really think so. So it, it again, it goes back to depending on cost, but you're not really working with so much prospect capital right now in the White Sox farm system where you can afford to go make some of those moves because I really, really do not think that this farm system is good enough to do that right now. I think they need a whole nother year to get back. You need guys like Jake Berger, Dane Dunning, um, Alec Hansen to turn it around, and some of these other guys to get healthy who had big names. You need a you need a decent year out of Zach Collins. If he's not going to stick on this roster, you need to see him go hit 20 home runs so, some, so you can move him. Mm-hmm. There, there's not a lot here. I almost think that bringing Zach Collins up this past season kind of hurt his trade value, not by a little, but by a lot. And if he was one of those kind of guys that you could have included in a deal like this, seeing him at the major league level struggle the way he did, and I know he made some adjustments, but now you've got significant questions about the guy's defense, whether he can stick at catcher. Is he a long-term DH? Can he hit from uh, against pitchers on both sides? I don't know. There's too many questions. Teams aren't going to be willing to pay as much as they did would have if he was still a top 100 prospect. There's not a lot of depth here, and it doesn't give you a lot of room to take some flyers on stuff. I don't know if it's worth it to go after a guy with one year and and rest on the fact that the White Sox are somehow now marketable because Lucas Giolito and Tim Anderson had a good season. Yeah. And one thing that you had really uh, kind of nailed on there at the end of your uh, little explanation was uh, the second tier of prospects. And I think the White Sox absolutely shot themselves in the foot. And um, unfortunately, partially to injury, uh, that's definitely a factor. Uh, you get guys like Mike Rodolfo, who may have looked a lot more enticing, say he had a full year uh, of hitting in the minors and just, you know, oh, this guy can just hit bombs at will. Uh, he may have been uh, one more guy that you could dangle out there. Um, then you guys got guys like Luis Basabi, uh, who underperformed majorly this year for the most part. And um, it, it just hurts uh, because think about the trades that we made when we granted we were starting a rebuild and you're looking for just a pool of prospects uh, mm-hmm. that have that high ceiling. Um, but still, when, when you think about that, um, it, it, I feel like 
maybe it's just our bias too, because we have analyzed these guys so closely and paid attention to their, you know, numbers and stats. Whereas teams like the Red Sox, Red Sox fans probably have no idea who the hell Luis, you know, well, I guess he trade, they traded him, but uh, they may have no idea who a guy like Mike Rodolfo is or what he's about. Um, and you know, you know what I'm saying? Like uh, it doesn't look as sexy if he has been injured for, you know, pretty much the last two, three seasons. So um, I just wanted to throw that out there that uh, that, that also hurts their uh, negotiation if they were to go down that route. Uh, but that was a quote from Han at these GM meetings. So uh, that was the next one that I wanted to get to. Um, we're we're going to keep rolling through these. Another Han quote, uh, Tony. Um, Han says, we want people to be excited just as they were in previous off seasons when we added names, people were really fired up. Expectations were high. Hopefully that happens this winter. In reality, none of that matters come September if we're not in the thick of things. Um, please walk the walk. On. Don't just talk the talk. That's my first comment opening here. Uh, I'll give the floor to you. You know, I was going to turn this one to you. I've done a lot of talking here, and uh, I really want to hear your your full takes on this one, Johnny, because I, I feel like this is a prime, prime negative Nani moment that we can give our listeners. Yeah. You know, Tone, um, the first part of this, we want people to be excited just as they were in previous off seasons when we added names. Okay. Um, I wouldn't say that excitement was through the roof when we added the names that we did last off season, the potential names. Yeah. I was, you know, over the moon about Manny Machado. Um, I think I've voiced my displeasure about us missing out on him uh, many a time here on socks on tap. So um, I don't know, first of all, uh, just as they were in previous off seasons, I I don't think that um, that thing rings true all all the way through. So uh, I just wanted to clarify that first uh, point of it. So people were really fired up. Uh, Maybe you're thinking about a different crowd there, Rick, but definitely wasn't, uh, you know, entailing me in that um he says hopefully this happens this winter you're goddamn right hopefully it happens this winter uh this offseason i'll say it again started last offseason so there's a lot of makeup ground here uh tone and it, it may be me just being overly critical overly harsh and you know how i've been in my attitude towards this but teams that are able to take that next step in this rebuild here are able to add that big name, able to sign that big name. And those organizations that were able to do that, maybe the Astros could have been the exception here because they were so bad for a few years before. Uh, I know everybody wants to compare them, the White Sox to the Astros uh, in, in a lot of this in having losing seasons and what have you. Um, but they might be the only exception to organizations that weren't able to sign a, a big name. Uh, the Cubs, whether you like it or not, I, I hate them, you know, uh, to my core. But hell, they're still a big enough name to be able to go out and sign John Lester before they were actually good. Um, they they had that sort of appeal, whereas I think the White Sox still don't, just because of the you know one you know one of the whatever it was five six teams not to make the playoffs in the twenty tens. Yeah. Um, that kind of stuff matters uh, as much as people want to say it doesn't. And it's all about the, you know, the guys that you have now and in the system. Um, 
that kind of reputation still matters to players and agents too. You got to think about it's not just players, it's agents in their camps, that, that whole sort of deal. The players aren't the ones themselves sitting down with the GM and writing out these contracts. Uh, it has to do with the agents too. Um, it, we've heard comments like uh, Ivan Nova before he came to the White Sox, people telling him not to come here. Uh, that's, a, you know, a red flag. It's a red flag. So, um, you know, hopefully it happens this winter. Yeah, absolutely. I wish it could have started last winter so we could have gotten the ball rolling and said, okay, well, they got this guy to sign here. Why did this guy get to sign here? Uh, because, you know, yada, yada, yada. You list the reasons, whatever that may be, uh, that a premier talent would have signed here uh, before the team was expected to be competitive. And then that may have helped snowball into this next offseason. So th- that's why I keep going back to that, that this offseason started last offseason, but uh, we can't change the past. I wish I could have a timeline or a time machine. I uh, go back in that timeline and sign Manny Machado, actually do it, uh, actually get the job done there. But, um, you know, uh, we can't change that. So uh, it's going to take paying the sock suck tax. Uh, unfortunately, uh, we, we've talked about it a little bit, but White Sox are going to have to be some of the highest bidders here. I know they don't want to set the market price. Um, they've said that in the past, but, uh, there's going to have to be a mentality shift here, Tone. Uh, if there's going to be impact, move the needle type of guys, as I always like to say, added this off season. Yeah. Uh, one thing I kind of want to quickly address in all of this is one of the biggest names on the market right now is obviously Anthony Rendon. Um, third baseman and there was a lot of I would say I don't know if I want to call them Rick Hahn apologists or White Sox apologists or just people who kind of viewed the whole Manny Machado miss as a good thing because we got a good year out of Yohan Moncada at third base and then now all of a sudden and, and some of this it wasn't even just apologists I would say you know, even the Chuck Garfine kind of Ryan McGuffey camp on the White Sox talk podcast, all of a sudden they, they, they released an episode today. Um, and you know, it was, it was actually a really good episode. If you haven't listened to it, I, I recommend doing it. But now all of a sudden they're talking about, you know, if we sign Rendon, you just move Moncada back over to second base and it's going to be all hunky dory. Well, these are some of the same people who are sitting here during the year feeding us it's a good thing we missed out on Manny Machado because Yohan Moncada plays much better as a third baseman, and that's why he's hitting better and all this other stuff. They're not the only ones. They're not the only ones, and it, they might not even be the best example of this. There's other people out there during the year who were very quick to the trigger when it came to, oh, my God, look at that Moncada play. Aren't you, aren't you glad we didn't go get Machado? And now all of a sudden... Now all of a sudden it's okay to just say, look, we'll just shift Moncada back over to second. When did that become a thing? You know, like why, why all year did we have to go and tell ourselves as fans, like, okay, this was all right because Moncada is, is better now as a third baseman than he was as a second baseman that now all of a sudden another premier free agent that the White Sox are linked to is it now okay to be like, all right, well, if we get him, it's okay if we move Moncada back. I, I just don't understand that mentality. If you're if you're taking this hard line all year, why are you so in on Rendon? I'll tell you why you're in on Rendon is because he's a damn good ball player, just like Manny Machado was. 
Yeah. You know, it's not about going and, you know, getting guys to fill positional needs. It could be about going and getting the best talent available and figuring it out. I actually love that mentality. If you go sign Anthony Rendon, I don't care where the hell on the diamond Yohan Moncada is playing. I don't care if Moncada gets 50 games at DH. If you have better talent on the diamond and he's out of a position, I don't care. Moncada's a stud. He's going to find a way to get his at-bats. That's on Rick Renteria to figure it out. But I just I don't understand that whole mentality of like, well, you know, Yomer Sanchez is a gold glove player and Moncada played way better at third base, so we didn't need XYZ player. You know, I'm I'm almost now a little bit more pissed off, Johnny, that we didn't sign Bryce Harper, you know, than, than the whole Manny Machado thing because I'm sure we're going to get into Cole Calhoun at some point, but it just made it makes so much more sense on paper right now for what the White Sox are looking for if you had actually put all of your apples in one basket on, on Bryce Harper last off season, I know you we're we've both been very torn up about Manny Machado, but if you go look on paper and you want to play this whole, like, Oh my God, we can't be moving players around and all this other stuff. Well then why wasn't the whole off season built around Bryce Harper last year? Yeah. If they're so concerned about positional needs, and like you said, this may be external voices that are the ones that are um, saying this and not ones from within the organization, but uh, the mentality, nonetheless, I, you know me, I've totally been in the, get the best talent available. Like this, just a perfect example of it is the early, you know, off season sort of speculation was the White Sox are looking for a lefty bat, lefty outfield bat, lefty right fielder, yada, yada. It's like, I don't give a fuck. Get the best talent available. I don't give a shit if Marcelo Zuna plays left field and you already have Eloy Jimenez there. If he's the best bet that you can get, fucking get him. Yeah, um, go move I, pl- move players around. It's I, not unheard of. It's I, not unheard of to move I, players around. The, and you know what? The, the thing is, the White Sox don't have the luxury to play that game to fill in the holes uh, of where they need positionally, just on the diamond, physically. Uh, they don't have the luxury like a team like the Yankees would because uh, they're pretty much stacked, both in their farm system and uh, at the big league level, to be able to do whatever they want. Um, there and the White Sox don't have that luxury. You, when you come across these talents that are available via free agency, uh, via trade, even you just go and get them. I'm sorry, but it it is time to just start stacking wins, Tony, because, um, you know, I'm not the, I would, wouldn't say I'm an expert by any means on, uh, baseball analytics, but war speaks for itself. Uh, when you have guys that have more war, you end up winning more games because they add wins to your lineup and you can find a way to fit them in there. So uh, I'm sick of the, uh, filling these very specific need. And I think that's going to transition us over into the Cole Calhoun talk here, uh, because it's been very heavily, uh, you know, kind of hinted at here, both even towards the end of the season and getting into this, uh, room temperature stove that we're in period now. And, um, Man, I I'm with you that uh, if they if this was going to be the big concern about positionally where guys are going to play, uh, I'm with you on the Bryce Harper thing. But um, obviously the the whole investment wasn't Manny Machado with signing uh, his best friend and his brother in law. Uh, all that shit. You would you would have found a place for you on my card. You would have found a place for Tim Anderson if uh, Manny Machado wanted to play shortstop. Um, and Yomer Sanchez would have been sitting his ass on the bench. So. Um, 
I'm sorry, but for the for the White Sox organization that we are, you need to realize we we are not a top tier, uh, and we haven't been for a long, long, long time. Um, there's never been an extended period of time where the White Sox have been a top tier organization. So when you can get top tier talent, you make do around that. The White Sox are like your friend who thinks that they look really good, but they're always single, and their online dating profile says something like "looking for." So and so must be five foot five with blonde hair, blue eyes, and is look looking for this specific type of person to date. But that person doesn't exist because in actuality, they're not good looking. They don't make good money. They they, they just they don't have themselves put together. They live in their mom's basement and it's never gonna fucking happen. So in order to go get that, you need to go get that six-figure job. You need to start driving around in Mercedes-Benz and actually, you know, make yourself worthwhile because <laughs> you're trying to go out and 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 date these Boris clients basically. And what your what your reality is is you're nowhere in that league. You're trying you're trying to go out there and act like you make doctor money when you're a customer service rep for Comcast. It doesn't it doesn't work. Yeah, <laughs> I think that's a great analogy for it, Tone. Um, and, you know, uh, a name that I had brought up here towards the end of this, because uh, it's probably going to be a little more on the uh, White Sox radar, I would guess. And um, I think our friend Pete Han likes to use the term white whale, um, what the White Sox like to chase here. Um, and that is the left-handed hitting right fielder who already, you know, is in that position. And that's Cole Calhoun. Uh, for the Los Angeles Angels, uh, not going back there. He's going to be a free agent. Um, Tony, I I know that this would definitely be an improvement over what was there last year. There's no no doubting that the outfield was trash. But this is also in a mindset. In what I said, it probably sounds contradictory to what I just said. You go out and get the vet, best talent available, but I think the best talent available is probably in other positions where you're going to get more, you know, offensive war and what have you. Um, but it unfortunately seems like this could be a white sock signing. All right. I'm going to give you two players. All right. From this last season, I'm going to read off their stats for you. And I'm going to ask you who you're taking here. Okay. We've got player one was a 2.3 B war. 552 at bats. He had 33 homers, hit 232. Okay. Uh, on base percentage was a 313, and he slugged 426. Okay. That's player one. Player two was a two B war and 489 at bats, hit 20 homers, but hit 282. On base percentage was 329, and he slugged 468. Mm-hmm. You're putting me on the spot there, but um, I guess initial reaction, uh, the Bush lights tell me to go player A. Player A. Okay, you took Cole Calhoun over Avisel Garcia. Well, yeah. But very yeah, so, similar profiles, and if you look at the batting average, 282 yeah, I, is a lot higher than the, than the, uh, than the 230, I believe. Two, 232. You got well, out of Cole Calhoun. You're comparing Cole Calhoun and Avi Garcia. I'm I comparing am. 
Cole Calhoun and, you know, Marcelo Zuna and a, um, y- you know, a- any of these other more <laughs> upper tier uh, outfielders, uh, I would say. Um, but yeah, yeah, no, no, for that, if you're going in that uh, vacuum, then yeah, sure. Cole Calhoun over um, Avi Garcia. And you know what? Th- that's another thing. People people have been big on uh, the Avi Garcia train. And uh, we, we've had him here once. I know we made improvements uh, when he left us and went to Tampa after that. But um, we had our go-around with him. And his entry history scares me, too, uh, now, now that you bring up the names here. Um, I know there are some people that say, and you know what? It would be definitely would be an upgrade in the right field. But shit, who the fuck wouldn't? Who the hell wouldn't be an upgrade in right field, pretty much, uh, for from the White Sox this past season when you're trotting out Ryan Cordell? Um, you had Ryan uh, Goins. You had Ryan you had, Goins playing right field. You had John Jay at times. Um, I mean, who wouldn't be? So it's, it's a pretty low bar to set there. But um, yeah, and you know the thing is, uh, I wouldn't. The thing is, I, I want to say that I, I would not be terribly, you know, distraught if we added a Cole Calhoun. But that can't be your big fish. And unfortunately, I think that is where it could end. Um, And there could only be some minor, minor upgrades made to maybe like a back end fifth starter or something like that. Maybe one bullpen piece behind beyond that. Maybe a utility guy and Cole Calhoun being your big fish. And that's what I just want to avoid this offseason. I don't want that mentality, you know. Would it be really White Sox? And I don't know if this guy's announced his retirement yet, but to see Curtis Granderson patrolling right field for 13 games next year. <laughs> was he with the Marlins this year? Yeah, uh, yeah, he was with he was with Miami. He hit uh, he hit 183. I mean, th- that would be extremely White Sox. He sounds like the kind of guy that we're going to get on the minor league deal this year. Yeah. Hey, we we had uh, who the hell was that from uh, Cleveland? Brandon uh, Geyer. Yeah, Brandon Geyer was on a minor league deal with the White Sox this year, so you never know. You know, Adam Adam Jones is out there as well. Um, if you're looking at names here, uh, but you know, I, I don't know. There's really not much in the outfield outside of Ozuna, Castellanos. I know Puig's a name too that I think a lot of people get attached to here. And then that, that one's got some, some question marks. I, I really like Puig, um, 29 years old. Um, just he, he's a ball player. He brings that energy. He brings a little bit of something extra that I think Cole Calhoun doesn't. We, we um, have a bunch of nice guys on the team. I think it's time for an asshole. And I think uh, yeah, Tri-Sox we, Weekly, Kenbo made a good point about that. It's time yeah, for an we, asshole in here. We, we talked about that a lot. And, you know, I think I think Puig would be a good addition. Um, Dickerson is out there. I don't really want anything to do with uh, Brent Gardner because he's about one step away from checking into the nursing home at yeah. the age of 36. Um, you know, there's there's really not much else out there um, yeah. that, that's going to really move really move the needle past Cole Calhoun at this point in time. Um, you know. It, that's why They're I want looking, I, I want Marcelo Zuno or Nicholas Castellanos. So that's yeah. where it brings me. Yeah. But that, then again, and this all goes back to the whole like you need a left hand bat. And, and I, I feel like the admission of them talking about that they need this left handed power bat in the lineup. It, if you if you read into this a little bit more, 
it's admitting, in my opinion, defeat on the Zach Collins draft pick because he was supposed to be that guy through this period. The guy that comes up from the minor leagues, a left-handed masher who's going to hit 25, 30 home runs for you from a a premier position, whether that be catcher, which I think that they wanted him to stick at, which he's not going to, so he's going to have to move to DH. And they quickly realized that he can't hit, what is that, left-handed pitching or right-handed pitching, whichever one it was. Um, The beers have been flowing already. But he can't hit both of those, so he's very limited in his usage. Daniel Palka kind of really tailed off. I know he had a, a few home runs there at the end of the year. He doesn't look as viable as he once did. They're really struggling to fill that role. But I'm reading into this as Zach Collins is not the guy that they're, they were going to trust to do this because you would have seen, I think, a little bit more time with Zach Collins in the field or at least at the DH spot, had they thought, okay, he's going to be that guy. So now yeah. you've got to go out and acquire one, and it limits you. I know we want best player available, but if all of a sudden you're narrowing this focus, it limits you to go get guys that we just talked about because all of a sudden you're going to zero in on Cole Calhoun. Imagine for a second they get outbid for Cole Calhoun. <laughs> Uh, don't even put that in front of me, Tone. Um, I don't even want to think about that. I'm sure we'll have plenty of episodes to discuss us missing out on even a second tertiary guy uh, <laughs> that was on their radar uh, later in the soft season. So we'll save it for then. But um, in this, uh, what I take away from that is uh, what a fucking waste of another draft pick, another high draft pick, another top 10 draft pick, Tone. Um, I'm not writing Zach Kyle off either that's not been a full season for him in the MLB I'm not writing him off completely but when you draft a guy that high um, they obviously don't have faith in his catching abilities Um, the platoon we've seen um, Twitter pundits XYZ uh, throughout the season say that he's just absolutely dog shit um, at the plate against I believe it's left handers so um, what a waste. What another waste here. And uh, that's really what uh, kind of irks me here. Um, just thinking about that, that that is what's going to put us in the position to have to go out and really, really chase this left-handed bat that they so desire. Yeah, no, it it, it just, it, it was a prototypical White Sox pick right there. Like, hey, if we can't go and get, you know, the next Adam Dunn, let's draft him. And it just seems like now they're like, wow, well, he's not even going to be Adam Dunn worthy. I, I, I don't like that at all. You know, I feel like they've had this fascination with the left-handed power bat since before 2005. You know, they've always been chasing that guy. I think that's why Pete Hand calls it the white whale. And it was like it, Jim Tomey wasn't enough to satisf- satisfy Kenny Williams' wet dream. Uh, when he was on the club. So I don't know. I don't know who you're going to go out and get, but I just feel like Cole Calhoun has, you know, White Sox regression written all over him. And here comes, you know, uh, the negative Nani and me here. You go and you get Cole Calhoun. He probably, for some reason, only hits 15 home runs next year. You know, you saw it with Yonder Alonso this year. 
You know, they chased yeah. they chased that exact same thing. And it's a guy that profiled as a left-handed power bat, and they come here, and for some reason, they struggle. I, I don't know what causes that to happen, but it, it just it has that because that that's so White Sox. That's so White Sox. Yes, yeah, I, mean, I didn't want to go down this route, but it happened. Yeah, yeah that's where we're at. Um, uh, so w- one guy that we so we had talked about Cole Calhoun a little bit extensively there, and I just want to clarify that I wouldn't be absolutely distraught if Cole Calhoun is a member of the White Sox come 2020. I actually think it's a very likely possibility that he is uh, just with from everything that we've seen. And like you had said, their fascination with the left-handed bat, what have you. Um, I, I don't want that to be, and this is just my main point. I don't want that to be the highlight uh, of this 2020 off season. It can't be. If you have, if you have that, then we're looking at another season where, you know, they'll probably improve. They will improve some wins uh, because you're going to have Michael Kopech back. And there are some other factors here that we haven't even gotten into. Um, but just on the, while we're on this warm st- or whatever room temperature stove, as I called it uh, to start this, um, it was just, if we're setting expectations here, let's raise the bar a little bit higher, you know? Well, I mean, if, if Cole Calhoun isn't, I've heard the name Howie Kendrick tossed out into the fold as well. You know, another 36-year-old uh, um, second baseman here, a guy who could play a little bit uh, of, of other positions as well, too, here, but primarily a second baseman. Um, you know, he, he had 330 or 344 last year uh, for Washington. Um, are you okay with Cole Calhoun and Howie Kendrick and, you know, maybe a, another stopgap starter? Is that, is that moving the needle for you? Where Where is the bar? I guess is my question for you right now. Like what do they have to do for you, Johnny, to consider it a good off season? Well, I would really like a solidified power bet behind um, it. Like, like honestly for me, it, I'm aiming high a little bit here. I know, but a Nick Castellanos, a uh, Marcelo Zuna. I've already brought those names up a couple of times, but um, shit, Tony, we have a hitters park. Let's start utilizing that and let's start hitting some friggin' bombs. Um, mm-hmm. That's, that's I like fireworks. I, that exactly. I, I know we, we all have fireworks. Now I, I just wanted to start there. And then if you have those, you know, a little bit lower, if we're going lower on the tertiary here, tertiary here, um, I would like then the next priority there to be a starter, um, preferably a guy like a Zach Wheeler. I think that would be a legitimate uh, target. And I know there's others out there. I'm just going to already write off Garrett Cole. Um, you know, I don't want to play that chasing game um, over. This. I would love to see him sign here. Don't get me wrong, but I just don't think it's realistic. So um, when I'm thinking at guys that more likely and at the right age and with the right trajectory on the analytics. Um, I, I would like to see that guy, even if you're giving up a, uh, you know, whatever, uh, a compensatory pick for it. Like I think Andrew Kinsler wrote in his article today, uh, our second round picks aren't lighting the world on fire and they aren't exactly extremely great trade bait. Like steel Walker right now doesn't move the needle in a deal. If you're trying to trade for a Jack Peterson or someone like that, you know what I'm right. saying? So, right. I'm okay with giving up someone like that if you're going to have to sign a Zach Wheeler. So um, th- that's where I would say priority uh, one for me then, I guess, would be that power bat. Um, I don't fucking care what side of the plate it's from. I know the front office is obsessed with it, but let's just get that in there. The home runs will come at the rate. 
second of all would be that starting pitcher because um, we, there's going to be injuries. There's going to be injuries regardless. Uh, even if you you know the best of teams are going to have their injuries, and the teams that can persevere through that um, have some depth there. So uh, starting pitching would be my second. Uh, you know, sort of fill in the gap there. And then third would be that uh, kind of utility, maybe a veteran guy, like you had mentioned, a Howie Kendrick, um, uh, that sort of type. A Corey Dickerson wouldn't be terrible. Um, I, I don't hate that as well. But like I said, they just can't be the headliner here. So uh, I would start it with the outfield power bat, to be honest with you, Tone. And, and that's Cole Calhoun for you? <laughs> no. Okay. I'm just I'm wondering because there's not really many other options. Uh, I mean, Castellanos is probably the the top of the list there. If you're looking at out, you know, outfield power bat. Um, you know, I, I think I think with the outfield situation, with the addition of Luis Robert, the outfields from a from a hitting standpoint, much better already. Just when you throw Robert in there than it was the last few years. And I really don't think that there's as much reliance on that that right field position as there is at DH, and especially with pitching. So if I'm going to go out on my wish list, you need to add two solid starters. I don't care if that starts with Zach Wheeler, but it needs to be followed up with somebody very close to that type of tier. So mm-hmm. you need to convert on if you're not going to go get Garrett Cole. And I think even if you do get Garrett Cole, if all the stars align and we're talking about Garrett Cole, and I'm sure if it happens, we're going to be doing some shots on the show. You need to go get Zach Wheeler and you need to go follow that up with like a Jake Odorizzi or somebody else out here that is going to be a starter and not a starter like the White Sox have had in Manny Banuelos and Dylan Covey and, mm-hmm. you know, every other Odrisimer Despagne all the way through Irvin Santana last year. It needs yeah. to be two starting pitchers, legitimate starting major league starting pitchers. Uh, Steven Strasburg's name gets thrown around here. Dallas Keuchel, um, Rick Porcello is 31 years old. I know he has a lot of ups and downs. Um, uh, Tanner Roark is out there. Alex Wood. A lot of these names, these are legitimate starting pitchers. You have to go and get two of them. I don't know if it's worthwhile bringing Nova back. He was serviceable. But you need to get to a point where you bring Nova back and he's your 5'6 guy to come step in if any of these guys get hurt. You know, I I would I would go into this year with the mentality that Carlos Rodon is never going to throw an inning for you at the big league. And I I really like that you say that because I think he will. But if you go in with the mentality that he's not, then you're just setting yourself up much better. Exactly. I want to get to a point where you've got six to seven guys. And this is really hard to do in the major leagues because Every team struggles with starter depth, but you've given yourself the benefit of the doubt for the year. If you go in with that mentality that Carlos Rodon's not going to throw and you've got Lucas Giolito heading up your rotation, followed by what should be Michael Kopak, Dylan Cease, 
Reynaldo Lopez. So there's four right there. There's four. If you go add say, Zach Wheeler, for instance, and Dallas Keuchel, now you've got six guys before we get to Carlos Rodon, who's going to come back mid-August. If Reynaldo Lopez mm-hmm. is giving you that iffy stuff that he did this year where he's not consistent, all of a sudden, Reynaldo Lopez has a fire lit under his ass because guess what? If he's not performing, he's going to wind up in the bullpen or Mm -hmm. off the team. You want to get quality Reynaldo Lopez all year, you get it to a point where if he's not performing, he's no longer in this rotation. And, you know, you back that up with some maybe major, almost, you know, 4A, high high 4A guys in your minor leagues, you know, maybe that isn't a, a Nova or somebody that does not get a big league deal that you can go stick in Charlotte. And if you have any injury problems, now all of a sudden we're not talking about bringing Manny Banuelos into the rotation or Dylan Covey. Those guys are so far down or long relievers or whatever that we don't see this 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 problem that we've always seemed to have where it's like, okay, when is Lucas Giolito going to pitch? Because we need to stop this four-game losing streak or three-game losing streak that we're on. Mm-hmm. Right you know, I, I really I really believe that they need to go get two solid starting options just for the sake of elevating the play and two guys that are going to be reliable that you don't have to have that question mark with. It just allows you to have that that backup plan. Next thing on my wish list is another solid bullpen piece. Alex yeah. Calame was very, very good at saving ball games this year. I know everybody wants to come at him for all of the other statistics uh, in non-safe situations. You've got a guy that thrives on adrenaline. This cannot be quantified via statistics except for save percentage. That's it. That's the only that's the only statistic that buys how well he did this year at saving ball games. You need to go get a guy who's a two inning reliever who can go the sixth, seventh, or seventh, eighth innings and give you almost that Andrew Miller type effect that Cleveland had when they yeah. were making their Andrew their- Miller's Cleveland days, not a St. Louis days. Yeah. Yes, exactly. You need that type of guy. Uh, or a Chris Davinsky or somebody who can come in here and replicate that kind of thing. Because what that's going to do is it's going to allow guys like Jace Fry or um, Evan Marshall or Aaron Bummer or all that to come in and give you one inning. But on days where they're coming off uh, both pitching and inning plus, because next year we've got this three minimum batter rule coming into play here. Yep. Guys are going to be a little bit more tired. It's not going to be as easy to go out there and be like, okay, I need Aaron Bummer to get me one to two outs here. I'm going to turn it over to Marshall, and then I'm going to turn it over to Herrera. They need a guy who can go about two innings. And what that's going to allow you to do is when you're in that three-game set in day one, you burn those guys. You've got somebody who can come in and lock it down. You need to start looking at this rule change and figuring out how you're going to get around this because – I know for a fact Jace Fry is not that guy who's going to give you a full inning two days in a row just based on his usage because he became a lefty specialist. I know I'm not comfortable looking at Kelvin Herrera for a, an inning plus in most ball games. 
I might be okay with that with Aaron Bummer, maybe Evan Marshall, but I want somebody in the back end of that bullpen. Maybe it's uh, Dylan, uh, I don't even know how to pronounce his last name, Bentensis or whatever out of out of New York. Maybe it's somebody like that, but you need to go get one of these guys who's another solid bullpen piece, a guy yeah. that's going to be able to step in and close games in, in Colomay's absence, or that guy that you go to when it's three to three in the ninth inning instead of Colomay. And maybe that'll satisfy some of the people who don't think Colomay's a, gr- a great pitcher because in those situations, he always gives the lead up. You need another shutdown back into the bullpen piece. And then the third thing on my wish list before a right fielder is you need to figure out what to do with the DH spot. You said it best a little bit ago. You need to put the best players in the lineup. You need to actually utilize the position that's in the American League that is a gift for you called designated hitter. Which I they were hitter. terrible at last year. Yes. The White Sox in a hitter-friendly ballpark should have a designated hitter who hits 35 to 40 home runs. Yes. It needs to hit 35 to 40 home runs every year consistently in order for them to succeed. Yes. It's all about the long ball. If you're if if your DHs are hitting 20 to 25 home runs a year, you're doing it fucking wrong. Go get a guy that's going to light up the scoreboard at least I, at home 15 to 20 times. Yeah, I'm totally with you. And your your list probably makes a lot more sense than mine. Uh, mine was uh, pretty much three-fourths created by uh, Bush Light. I was kind of going off of what was at the top of my head. And I just do want to circle back on my comments um, about um, – I would definitely take Cole Calhoun, first of all. We need to go back to your player one, player two um, comparison for me. I would take Cole Calhoun over Avi Garcia. And I think I made that clear. But I just wanted to clarify that um, in case that wasn't explicit here. I definitely would. Uh, there's no doubt about that. Um, but I would rather have Nicholas Castellanos. I don't give a shit if he's right-handed and Cole Calhoun's left-handed. Um, I would rather have that. Um, that's just my personal take on it. Um, also, those guys are a little bit younger than Cole Calhoun, Marcel Zuna, and Nicholas Castellanos. Just throwing it out there. If you're going to be signing these guys to some deals, maybe get a little extra mileage out of them. That's all I'm saying. So um, that's just. Does also it matter where the runs come from in the box score? Does it matter nope. where the runs come? No. Okay. All right. No. Just wanted yeah. to clarify that. Yeah. So um, uh, that's what I want to get at. But uh, I, I really like what you had said about the starting pitchers. Um, also with the bullpen, that's a great factor to take into consideration uh, with the three batter minimum coming up here. Um, I think Aaron Bummer will thrive just fine in that. Um, like you had said, though, Kelvin Herrera, Chase Fry. I don't know about, you know, two innings, uh, anything like that. No, uh, you're going to need another piece there. So. Um, I know it's going to be a qualifying offer if they do go and target this guy. Um, but I'll give you a little shout out to Jordan Lazowski. It said Will Smith, maybe a guy that he likes to see in there. And I think that would be a great addition to a White Sox bullpen. I know he has a qualifying offer from the Giants, but shit, if you could get him to the south side, um, I, I think you're looking at one of the best bullpens in the American League then. Um, that's just my opinion. Um, just wanted to throw a name out there. Um, Tony, let's move on though. Uh, before we ramble on too long, uh, we got, we got qualifying offers while we were on that subject. I had said, Will Smith there, uh, Marcel Zuna will have a qualifying offer attached to him as well. Our guy, Jose Abreu, uh, was offered, uh, from the White Sox, a qualifying offer. Um, he has until Thursday 
to accept or decline this. Uh, it's at 17.8 million, I believe, is what it was set at for all these guys. Uh, I will read all of them off here really quick here for you. Jose Abreu is the lone White Sox. And then other than that, Garrett Cole, Anthony Rendon, Steven Strasburg, Zach Wheeler, Madison Bumgarner, Josh Donaldson, Marcelo Zuna, Will Smith, Jake Odorizzi. Um, thoughts on Abreu first. Let's get first and foremost here. Um, what do you think happens with this? Um, I, I think he's going to decline this offer. There's, I think Jose wants more than one year. Um, and I think the Sox will eventually come to an agreement on a two, two year deal with an option for him, um, on that third year, just because I feel like that sets up for the, the Andrew Vaughn kind of takeover. It's kind of a soft landing spot. We don't know how much longer Jose Abreu is going to play baseball. We don't know what the decline is going to look like with the age, um, I think anything longer than a three-year deal doesn't make much sense. Jose said he's going to sign himself here. Um, the White Sox obviously have some sort of interest in him coming back. Otherwise, you know, not not totally makes sense that they offered the qualifying offer if they just wanted to throw that out there knowing he's not going to accept it, even if they're going to go and negotiate with him. But we've already heard the rumors that they're discussing a long-term deal with him. It was reported by MLBTradeRumors.com. Um, there, there's interest here, um, uh, from both parties. So I have no, yep. I have no, I guess, hesitation that a deal is going to get done. The only thing that could really screw this is, uh, screw this whole thing up is if somebody comes in and, you know, really offers him a contract that's leaps and bounds better than what the White Sox have offered. Which I doubt will that, happen. That, yeah, that, that can't, it can happen, but I kind of doubt it. The market for, um, you know, right-handed hitting first baseman above the age of 30, not exactly all that hot, especially with the fact that Edwin Encarnacion is also on that, on that list. So, um, there's only so many needs out there, um, for guys of that profile. So, you know, I don't, I, I really don't think that we're going to have trouble getting this deal done. I think you're going to see similar production to what you saw this year out of Jose Abreu. I don't know if he's going to lead the AL in RBIs. Maybe, depending on what this batting order looks like. But, you know, I think we're going to get something done. I don't know exactly know where the numbers are, but I, I would think yeah. it's going to be somewhere between two and three years. And I think that that's exactly why he declines this. And we'll probably have, I, I can see this being more or less of a winter meetings type deal announcement. If not, I think the Jose Abreu extension or, or re-signing, so to speak, gets announced around Sox Fest. It's a perfect type of fanfare and, uh, you know, just something to get the people excited about, you know, the, the surprise show up of Jose Abreu at Sox Fest um, yeah. as a free agent signing, you know. And, and that might be already already planned, so to speak. So um, that's kind of where I see that going. Yeah, my, my my take on that is I think it will be three years um, and maybe that maybe to a fault. But um, I do think that plays into if there's one thing uh, that we can count on from Jerry Reinsdorf, it's the loyalty um, to the, you know, players, whatever uh, staff that he's hired. Um, are you technically staff in this regard? Um, and. He's already said that it's already been made public. Abreu's used the media to his advantage in this situation, uh, something that we had discussed on a Shy Sox Weekly. Um, I think it will be in a uh, three-year deal. Um, don't know. I couldn't tell you exactly off the top of my head. Um, I'm not an agent, um, so I, I don't have an exact dollar amount for you, but um, I, I would guess that it'll be three years because they will just honor um, 
him for staying through, uh, staying with this organization through um, all, all the bullshit. I mean, he could have gone to the Colorado Rockies in 2017 uh, when they needed a first baseman and they, uh, you know, were making a wild card push. So um, that's just uh, what I have in my gut feeling. So uh, that's all I'm going off of. But uh, that was, like Tony had said, MLB trade rumors, uh, Jeff Passan, uh, they've both said that um, Sox and Abreu have discussed a long-term deal. So we just want to touch on that uh, because that is the beginning of qualifying offers. Um, uh, you know, just th- through these names here, uh, Tony, I think you and I are both in the agreement that uh, Garrett Cole is going to go elsewhere. Um, the, that's just, you know, there was a uh, bold prediction segment on MLB Network, and I forget exactly who had uh, put that out there as a bold prediction, but um, he had said that Garrett Cole would sign with the White Sox and then also that the White Sox would win the AL Central this upcoming season. So um, I think both of those are extremely bold, and I think neither happened. But uh, that's... I think that was like Anthony Karstreveiss or yeah, something. Yeah, yeah. So um, there's that. Um, and then there's Anthony Rendon. Um, I know that Rick Hahn had said uh, he's not totally averse to moving Yon Mankata, but I don't think that is at the top of their uh, priority list this offseason. Um, I just don't don't see that happening. So th- those are the big names. Steven Strasburg um, as great as it would be. There's also some risk there uh, with getting this guy to a long term deal um, just because of some injury past a maybe. You know, uh, the age, you're, of course, you're paying, always paying for the front end of that deal when it comes to pitchers. But um, I just feel like a guy like Zach Wheeler is more worth their while um, and their dollar um, for for what they're going to spend here. So um, that, that's why I think when I just look at these names also, you, you got to look at it with who else is available um, in this time period and the time period that they have the money to spend and what's going to be most worth your while during your competitive window, which is just finally starting to open. I know it should have probably last season um, if they would have made the right moves last offseason, but here we are. Can't change the past. Don't have a time machine. So um, I think Zach Wheeler sets up better uh, for that uh, for them going forward and then um my guys there marcelo zuna will smith man and then one of your guys at the back end of that jake odorizzi um i know that there's compensatory picks uh you know attached to all of these guys but shit marcelo zuna would launch baseballs out of guaranteed rate tony he he would hit more than he did with the cardinals this year and he was injured with the cardinals for a, a period of time from late July into mid August uh, this year. I just, I don't know why maybe it's just a fascination that I have. And I've seen ball games in St. Louis and I've seen him live, but shit, I just think that he would be great addition. So maybe this is just uh, a pure wish, pure want uh, sort of thing. But um, I don't know. I just wanted to throw that out uh, of the qualifying offer guys. Um, Jake Odorizzi, a guy like you had said, that would not be a terrible uh, addition at all. Um, no, uh, that would that would really help bolster the competition there. And I really like just going back to a point that you had made um, a while ago about adding competition in the rotation. That will drive Reynaldo Lopez to pitch better. First of all, just another year of development will another year of you know strengthening over the offseason and all of that. No doubt about it. But. If there's guys behind him, there's no one behind him. But he's probably laughed at the fact that Audrey Smart Espanya was starting on certain days. He probably laughed at the Irvin Santana's, Manny Banuelos, Hector Santiago when they brought him in. Reynaldo probably just laughed. 
Yeah, he's, and it, not, he's not going to be laughing at a Jake Odorizzi, or he's not going to be laughing at a Dallas Keuchel if they're behind him. No, and those are guys that are veterans, too, that can come in here. What, what was the veteran presence on the staff outside of uh, Nova here? No, that was like, it. I mean, Irvin Santana, what, what kind of value did he provide? You know, how to be a journeyman? That That's not what you need. You need some established guys here, you know, and, and kudos, I think. And that, that's kind of goes unsaid a little bit is and this is nothing against Nova, but Lucas Giolito kind of figured out how to do all this on his own. You know, I'm, I'm, and this doesn't go against like, you know, Don Cooper and the whole entire White Sox organization and, and their pitching staff. But um, enough was already spoken about the fact that he had to go back to his high school pitching coach. You know, you know, I'm I'm not trying to say that there was no development or, you know, the help that he got from from McCann and and during the season from the White Sox staff. But Lucas Giolito needed to go and reinvent himself um, over the offseason last year. And it required help from outside of this organization. Then during the year, you know, you see him maintain it. And I'm sure the White Sox did some things to to help facilitate that. But there wasn't another veteran pitcher who's been there, done that, that can come in here and be like, hey, Lucas, here's how we pitch in this situation. Or we're coming down the stretch. Here's how you mentally prepare yourself. Or here's how we get around game one of, you know, the ALDS, right? Because that's the Mm -hmm. next step. That's the next step. We're preparing for this game. You know, that's why I think it would be valuable to bring some of these guys in. Odorizzi has playoff experience now. Um, you know, Dallas Keuchel, been to the World Series before. These are the types of guys that can come in here who've been there, done that. And the White Sox as a, as a whole on this entire team right now, who on this team has experience in the playoffs? I'm scratching my head right now. Have, the, have, the, the crickets are chirping. Does anybody on this roster right now have any playoff experience? No. Okay, so we need to get to that point. I don't know if Alex Colomay has been there. I think he may have. Kelvin Herrera. But oh, yeah. I'm talking You're about... Right. Kelvin Herrera, but yeah. I'm, I'm talking about guys... You can't go into the playoffs with Kelvin Herrera being the only guy on your roster who's been to the playoffs before. That's not going to get it done. I'm sorry. You know, you you need to add two, three, four, even, hey, five guys who've been there, done that before. You know, Rick Renteria has never managed a playoff baseball game. Unless I'm completely wrong here, but I'm pretty sure he was out of there before, uh, out of out of the out of the Cubs organization before they made the playoffs. There, yeah. th- there needs to be some know-how within this organization. Mm-hmm. There needs to be guys who've been there, done that. You saw what happened with the Chicago Blackhawks in 2009, over to 2010. Yeah, you add a Marion Hosa, you get those guys that brief one year of playoff experience, and maybe that comes in. Thomas year. Kopetsky. Yeah, Thomas Kopetsky. Some of those other names, you know, that the 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 uh, the John Maddens of the world on yep. that on that team. You need that veteran presence. That's not just hockey. It's not just baseball. It's football. It's basketball. It's every sport. You need to have that. And if if Jerry Reinsdorf, circling all the way back to the beginning of this conversation, if Jerry Reinsdorf talking about competing this year, 
you need to add veteran leadership guys as well. And not the kind of veteran leadership of, of this guy's a good clubhouse guy and he knows how to get around Chicago and he's going to help so-and-so get from point A to point B. I'm talking about guys who have been through October baseball. That's the veteran leadership that they need. That's a Dallas Keuchel. For yeah. sure. You know, um, uh, you know I, don't, I don't think that there's too many of them out there this year, but... Dallas Keuchel now just became one of my one of my targets right away. Yeah, guy that's it, been all the way through it. it. I know there is just while you're on that topic. I know there's hesitation about Jake Odorizzi because of giving up a pick to a division rival there um, in the Twins, and then also you know just some drawbacks on Odorizzi himself. But I mean, he was part of that team that uh, you know Madison they got swept by the. Yeah, Madison Bumgarner is out there, and he has a qualifying offer from the Giants as well. So. Um, N- not seeing those, solo. yeah. That there's Anthony uh, Rendon. <laughs> yeah, Anthony Rendon just won himself a World Series, man. Yeah, there's uh, Steven Strasburg. <laughs> there's yep. another one too. Yep, you know they they're out there's, there. So there's, um, it looks like there's plenty of guys here. You could bring in multiple guys who've won World Series who know how to get through that and can you know not only just get through it, Johnny. What would it be like for a World Series champion like Rendon or Strasburg to walk into the White Sox locker room coming off of a championship and getting to celebrate it over the summer? If I'm if I'm uh, Eloy Jimenez or if I'm, you know, Lucas Giolito or, or anybody else in the matter, Michael Kopech, one of the first questions I'm asking Steven Strasburg when he shows up for the first day at spring training or at Sox Fest or what have you is like, what is it like to win the World Series? Yeah. And just getting that story from the human element, talking to these guys about how cool it is to celebrate in the locker room with your teammate, you know, what that whole experience is like. Not that they couldn't just go get it from talking to their friends or whatnot, but somebody who's actually in your organization telling teammate you, yeah. a teammate, somebody who's about to go to war with you, how cool it is to go win that is going to drive you to that next level. You know, the, you need leadership in life, not just, not just in sports, whatever. You need leadership in life. The White Sox, I, I, I don't know about you, but I feel like they lack that and it needs to come from somebody who's been there, done that. The coaching staff, the only guy that's, that's even, I think, a World Series champion on this coaching staff is Don Cooper. And I'm not sure that he quite remembers 2005. <laughs> yeah. And, and another thing that you're talking about, um, guys that are leaders, so to say, I don't want to discredit Jose Abreu because, you know, he, he has been such a rock for this organization through some really, really shitty times. Uh, and he knows that the organization knows that. And that's why I think they will reward him with a three-year deal when this is all said and done. But he is more in my mind, Tony and Jose Abreu, this is no disrespect to you at all. He's more of a mentor than a leader right now. Would you agree with that? I don't think Jose Abreu was ever really the leader, so to speak. And I like the way I I said like the way you worded it. I like the yeah. way you worded it, mentor. There's something to be said for being the biggest fish in a small pond, so to speak. And I think that's exactly what Jose Abreu is. He's done a lot for this organization, not only on the field, off the field. And I think he's a stand-up guy. One of my favorite White Sox of all time. When when we when all is said and done, 
but he is a big fish in a small pond. The White Sox, they don't have much success. You know, it's like it's like being the MVP of the Bad News Bears. That's what Jose Abreu is. He's he's the the best player on the worst team. And all of the struggles and shittiness that's gone on throughout this organization during his during his time here only makes him shine brighter. Yeah. You know, and that's nothing uh, against Jose Abreu. I think he's still a very, very, very good major league player. But I don't know if he exactly gets the same type of, I don't know, fan love that he gets in Chicago if he were playing for, say, the New York Yankees. Yeah. Or the Boston Red Sox or the Chicago Cubs or what name, name your big market team, the Dodgers, so to speak. Um, I don't think he gets the same love because he's, he's not exactly your everyday exciting player. You know, he, he's a good first baseman, but he's not Albert Pujols. You know, he's not Miguel Cabrera. He's not of that ilk. He's a, he's a tier below, and I, I I don't even know what he would be in that situation. I don't even think he takes on a mentorship role. There were times during Jose Abreu's career with the White Sox where the media and even like himself said, you know, I don't want the spotlight. I, I wasn't brought here to be the leader. I think he kind of became it by default just because he was tenured and the White Sox needed him to help out with some of these other players who are coming over from Cuba. He was not a leader until Yoan Moncada showed up here. Yeah. He wasn't even a mentor until Yoan Moncada showed up here. So let's let's take that into account. There's natural born leaders and there's leaders by default. And Very true. I kind of feel like he became leader by default rather than natural born leader because if if he was natural born leader he would have been that guy when he came over in his quote-unquote rookie season, you know. And maybe it was the fact of who was on this team, and we all know the clubhouse troubles and everything. But if he was a leader then, do you really think we would have had the same type of nonsense and bullshit going on with, you know, Adam LaRoche and all of the the Adam Eaton shit, you know? I don't think Jose Abreu is that kind of guy who's going to walk in the locker room and tell somebody shut the fuck up. Yeah, you know. So that I I I, I like the way that you use mentor. I, I I kind of go with leader by default because there's really no other options. It's kind of just like that guy at work who's been there for ten years and knows all the skeletons in the closet, and everybody goes and asks him, "Hey, how does this get done?" And he's like, "Okay, here here's how you do it." He's not really leading anything. He's just kind of knows things yeah it's not exactly a skill it's just acquired knowledge yeah i'm with you tony so i i definitely think some uh leadership from some of these guys that first they can make an impact on the field that's number one first and foremost and then second of all uh that would definitely be um if this team is serious like, like jerry had said uh this is kind of ties back into those first comments that um it's time to be rewarded for these you know past few years of uh you know being down in the dumps, uh, so to say. Uh, I'm paraphrasing there, of course, but you, you know what I'm saying. It's all the same general message there. Um, they could help in both facets there uh, in getting us 
to the promised land and also um, leading us through it. So uh, we have railed on a, a lot here. Um, this has been fueled by um, Cooper's Hawk Wine, uh, Bush Light, Budweiser, um, all of the above. Um, a few few dates here, Tone. Uh, I'll throw out some numbers here for you. Uh, they'll probably make you sad at first, but then um, it'll also get the countdown started. 101 days until the White Sox first spring training game. And then there are 134 days until we are inhaling jello shots in lot B before the White Sox home opener. Oof. Can't wait. <laughs> Can't wait. Can't wait. No, I'm with you. Uh, I I just wanted to bring those up because I have this uh, little countdown app on my phone. And um, I always, as soon as the season ends and the next schedule is released, I put them in there. So I have a countdown date. Um, We'll start doing some more uh, countdown pictures, videos, all that kind of stuff. Get you amped up for the season uh, over on the Socks on Tap Twitter handle. Um, The ballpark mix. um, I definitely have my songs not completely laid out, but I have a outline of what I want to do. And I'm going to start mixing that in the coming weeks here, Tony. So uh, that is also something for the White Sox uh, fan listeners to get excited about here. Um, And I don't know, man, Uh, like I said, this is the room temperature stove. So we hope you enjoyed our ramblings on it. Uh, We just wanted to get something out uh, to kind of, you know, sum up, uh, not even sum up, expand on what we would have said in tweets. Those would have to be shorthand. So uh, we were kind of able to ramble on them, go off on some tangents here. But, uh, you know, that's how we do here at Socks on Tap. Yeah, Johnny, this was this was fun. We need to we need to keep doing this just to keep ourselves sane, I think, throughout the off season. Uh, I know I did one with uh, with our guy Buzz a few weeks ago. Um, and you can kind of expect this kind of cadence coming from Socks on Tap. Um, outside of any sort of breaking news, you know, when Cole Calhoun signs on the dotted line or, uh, or, uh, what's it, what did I say? Curtis Granderson, you know, <laughs> Curtis when, Granderson. When we get the Curtis Granderson <laughs> signing the minor league deal with spring training invite. We will get you a socks on tap. I promise. Um, but yeah, you can kind of expect this kind of cadence, um, throughout the off season. Um, things will probably pick up a little bit more around the winter meetings. I would, I would assume we'll probably get one more out in November, uh, before that happens. But, uh, this is, this is kind of where we'll be at. And then, uh, I would expect maybe a shy Sox weekly, uh, to, to make its return within the next week or two, um, as well. So you can expect to hear Johnny and I talking white Sox baseball, uh, a little bit, maybe one or two more times, I think throughout November, barring any major, major additions to this ball club or trades or what have you. Um, but yeah, that's, that's, I think where we'll be at with that. And then, uh, it w it wouldn't be, uh, it wouldn't be a socks on tap if we didn't plug some of the other on tap sports net stuff. If you're enjoying Johnny and I on socks on tap, there, where, where could somebody find us on an almost every other night basis, Johnny? Yeah, absolutely. Tone. We are also on Blackhawks on tap and the four feathers podcast. Uh, that's right. Tony and I, uh, we are part of the ONTAP Sportsnet Blackhawks coverage team. So we are doing post-game shows just like you enjoyed all season here on Sox on Tap. We are doing those after every Blackhawks game. Uh, not always Tony and I, maybe a little bit of a different mix. Uh, you've heard Patrick Comiskey on here once or twice on Sox on Tap. He's on there sometimes, uh, one of our great Cubs guys. Uh, you know, we, we don't like to give the Cubs any credit, but our coverage team over there, 
they do a good job. And Ron Luce heads that thing up, and he is also on the Blackhawks coverage with us there. So you can find us over there, Blackhawks on Tap and Four Feathers Podcast. If you ever want to go and listen to any of these, ontapsportsnet.com slash podcast. It's all in one place. You can go and scroll up and down. Socks on Tap, Four Feathers, Blackhawks on Tap, Bears, if you're into that, that's all right there too. Then you can also go and find it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, all of those places. It's all there. But we just want to let people know that if you go to our website, you can find it all there. Listen in mobile browser. Listen on your desktop, wherever. Um, it, it all works. So um, just wanted to point that out. And then uh, one more announcement here for on Tap Sports Net. We have a live event, our first live event that we are putting on. Uh, Tony and I have kind of done a uh, two-man show um, from the Brent Sopel golf outing before, but uh, we are getting the whole crew together, doing a full panel of them, Bears, Bulls, White Sox, Cubs, all of that good stuff. A little bit of pop culture thrown in there as well. Um, on Tap Sportsnet live event at Murray Brothers Caddyshack on this upcoming Saturday, November 16th, 11.30 a.m. through 6 p.m. So if you're coming out, please let us know. Go RSVP on our Facebook page. It's the same handle as our Twitter, On Tap Sportsnet, all one word. Uh, details there, Twitter, Instagram, um, you can go and find it. And um, we, we hope to see you out there. It's going to be a good time. Uh, I know you and I will be talking Blackhawks for sure. Um, probably some White Sox there too as well. Yeah, it sounds like it's going to be uh, you and I on both of those shows. Um, we're going to be doing everything Chicago sports that day. Uh, that's Caddy Sh- Murray Brothers Caddy Shack up in Rosemont. Um, we'll be there all day cracking beers. Um, and then I believe there's a Hawks game on right after that too. So um, feel free to... Uh, come out there uh and uh enjoy some chicago sports talk whichever team you um are interested in i'm sure there's going to be something for you um as well as some former players of some of those teams and and other personalities as well um so yeah it's going to be a good time come crack some beers with us we'll be out mixing it up with the crowd um if uh if we're not on stage at at that that point in time so uh most of the on tap sports net guys will be out there yeah, Tone, uh, this was good to get on and talk some White Sox with you. I know we've been pretty heavily Blackhawks-centered uh, over these past couple of months. That's kind of why we've went um, AWOL. We don't mean to do that to you guys, but unfortunately, in this period of time, there's nothing to talk about. So when the stove finally got to room temperature, not freezing cold, uh, we wanted to bring something out. So that's what this will be titled as. Uh, Sox on tap, the, go get the room Steve temperature Stone stove. to give me a new appliance guy for my house. Yeah, yeah, and it's, Steve Stone's all about the carpentry references and uh, building houses, so you should definitely uh, inquire about him, uh, maybe get a quote um, on what that would cost you there, Tone. So um, I'm sure he's got some ideas, but won't make them public, so uh, you'll have to go directly to him. Um, other than that, uh, let's get a uh, closing thought before this offseason really, really gets kicked into high gear. I know I started out with saying that this sounded like deja vu. And the the weird thing about deja vu, if you've ever had it, is sometimes you feel like you have deja vu. And then something else happens and you're like, oh, it started similar, but it ended differently. That's what I want. I want this to start out like, huh, this feels exactly like last year. But I want the ending to be different. If the White Sox had one chance to rewrite history. It's this fucking off season. Go out and actually have the guy that you're courting sign on the dotted line. This is the one time that you have to do it. 
because you go into next year without being able to get that guy to sign on the dotted line, you're going to lose a ton of fucking fans. You're going to lose a lot of interest. You're going to lose a lot of ticket sales. And you're probably not going to go win a World Series with this rebuild. This offseason is so important. It needs to get done, and it needs to get done now. There's no room for error. I know we said that last year. It rings true 10,000 times more now. It has to get done. And if it doesn't, there needs to be accountability for it. I don't know what that accountability is right now, but there needs to be accountability if there is nothing done this offseason that goes and makes this team compete. You've heard it from Jerry Reinsdorf. It's time to end the suffering. Let's get it the fuck done. Prove me wrong. I am negative Donnie. I've been here. I've been railing against, you know, pretty much everything that uh, comes out report-wise, saying, oh, there's no way the White Sox can sign this guy, whatever. Um, It's kind of a defense mechanism in a way. Um, because I am definitely on the pessimistic side of being, you know, realist, optimist, pessimist. I'm definitely on the pessimistic side. There's no doubting that. Um, so I just kind of don't want to get up for the letdown again and just prove me wrong. Because if you do, then I will be over the moon. Um, You'll be hashtag that, joyful Johnny. Yeah, exactly. I want to be able to get to that point, Tony. Um, and, and I know that even if the, those are made, it's, it doesn't guarantee a World Series championship. And I know that. Um, that's where my realism comes into play. Because I know that's not going to happen right away. It doesn't happen right out of the box. I don't think anybody is expecting the White Sox to go out win the World Series next year. But if you make the right moves and set yourself up for the future and then also open the door for signing other guys going into next offseason when these guys, this core of guys that you already have, just keeps getting better, then you're putting yourself in a really good place. I always said that this offseason started last offseason, and I do not take that back one bit. I definitely think it did. But if there's time to make it up, no time like the present. Go and get it done. Prove me wrong. That's all I've got. White Sox forever. White Sox forever.